In your bulletin, you'll find an outline of this morning's message if you wish to follow along with that. Let's look to the Lord in prayer before we look into his word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us your word and by it we can understand your will for us. Open our eyes to the things it teaches us today and help us, Lord, to respond to it by the power of the Holy Spirit. In thy name we ask it. Amen. A store owner was tacking a sign in his store window which read puppies for sale. And a little boy appeared and asked, uh, how much are you selling your puppies for? The man said he didn't expect to let them go for less than, oh, $50 each. The boy reached in his pocket and pulled out some change and he said, well, I have $2.37. Can I look at them? <laughs> the store owner smiled and whistled and from the kennel, a dog named Lady came running down the aisle followed by five tiny balls of fur. One puppy lagged behind. Immediately, the little boy asked about the limping puppy. What's wrong with that doggy? Well, the vet told us the dog is missing a hip socket, said the store owner. He'll always limp like that. That's the one I want to buy, the lad said quickly. The store owner replied, no, no, you don't want to buy that dog. If you really want him, I'll just give him to you. The boy came close to the store owner's face and said angrily, I don't just want you to just give him to me. That doggy is worth just as much as all the other puppies, and I'll pay the full price. In fact, I'll give you $2.37 right now and 50 cents a month until I have him paid for. The store owner replied, oh, no, no, you don't want that dog. He's never going to be able to run and jump and play like the other dogs. In response, the little boy pulled up his pant leg to reveal a badly twisted left leg supported by two steel braces. Well, sir, he said, I don't run so well myself, and the puppy will need someone who understands. You know, when it comes to having the love of God, we all come into this world not quite whole. We are all a little twisted and need someone who understands. The process of growing from being the broken person in need of love to being one who can understand and give love, well, that's what God wants to do in our lives. Learning to grow in love is something that's not just a matter of the intellect. We can't just read about it and get it. It requires experience. We grow love more than we learn love. We grow love more than we learn love. That's why I use the analogy of a garden to help us understand what the scriptures say about this growth process. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19 gives a beautiful prayer in which the Apostle Paul is praying for the Ephesian Christians to be able to grow love. And we'll use that as the basis for our outline of the process of love growth. It says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family and heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ 
and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Verses 16 and the first part of 17 show us where love growth begins. Notice that the entire Godhead of the Trinity is involved in the process. The Father has the glorious riches of his person out of which love flows. The Spirit is the agent of communicating that love into your hearts and your inner being. And Christ is the object of our faith with whom we can have a relationship so that we can understand that eternal heavenly quality in human form. I want you to understand that having God's love actually lived out in your life is impossible without Christ living in your heart through faith. What I am saying is that nobody loves with the special self-sacrificial love of God unless they have Jesus in their heart. That's very clear from this passage. But simply asking Jesus into your heart is not a guarantee that the love of God will shine through. That's what 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7 is about. In 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7, we have eight qualities that can increase and flow through us to make us be productive and fruitful in our knowledge of Christ. The first is faith, and the last is love. And Jesus confronted some of his detractors with the truth that they did not have the love of God in them because they did not have faith in him. John 5:39. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? The seed that can grow into love is the seed of faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. There are things about love that is the true love that the Bible teaches as the love, the agape, which comes from God, that you cannot experience apart from a relationship of faith in Jesus Christ. And just as you cannot expect a garden to grow vegetables or flowers unless you plant vegetable or flower seeds, so you can't expect your life to grow God's love unless you plant the seed of faith in the Son of God in it. Unfortunately, because love is fruit that is produced through growth, it's possible to plant the seed but not have the seed grow to the place that it produces fruit. That's the message of the parable of the sower that we're all familiar with in Luke 8, 11 through 18. Jesus said that some who would hear the word would not receive it like the hard-beaten path. He also said that some would hear it and begin to respond but then not get rooted because they were rocky soil. Others would hear it and not produce fruit because they were like weedy soil. They got so concerned about the cares and concerns of this life that they forgot about their faith in God. We've all known people like this. And even though they trusted Christ as their Savior at one time, they're not exhibiting his love because they either never got rooted or they were too concerned about worldly things to continue with him. And then, of course, there's the good soil uh, where the word takes root and bears fruit. But notice what Paul goes on to pray 
He prays that they are being rooted and established in love. The idea is this. The love of God is like the environment in which their seed of faith has been planted. And like soil surrounds and envelops and becomes the nutrient source for the seed, so God himself, who is love, becomes the very environment that surrounds us. Other passages teach this a little more directly. Uh, 1 John 4.16 And we've come to know and believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Just as the soil produces the nutrients and the warmth and the moisture that enables the seed to germinate and grow, so God provides all that is necessary for our faith to grow into love. He's the one to whom we look for our connection into this growth. Uh, John 15, 9 and 10, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. First uh, John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And uh, Jude 1, 21, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. If God is to energize our faith unto the fruit of love being produced in our lives, we must stay connected to him. Our obedience to Christ's commands is what we can do to stay connected and to rest our life in the environment of his nurturing love. This is why John tells us that his commands are not burdensome. They're given for the purpose of nurturing growth into the fruitfulness of love in our lives. To obey his commands is like a germinated seed taking in the nutrients from the soil. It energizes growth and rootedness and prepares the plant for growing strong enough to support fruit. Now one of the interesting realities of this growth is that it does not happen in independent isolation. A Christian can no more be a healthy, fruitful Christian all by himself without connection to a group of believers than a pea plant can grow to a healthy fruitful plant in a field of nettles. Ephesians 3.18 says that they may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Notice this grasping of the width and length and height and depth of the love of Christ is in the context of together with all the saints. We have two kinds of relationships described that are necessary to the growth of love in our lives. The first is the vertical relationship, our relationship with God. And uh, the second is the horizontal relationship, our relationship with other Christians. And uh, it's more than one other Christians. It, it's like a church setting. That's what we need to be in. We must understand that it's possible for us to hinder our relationship with God. That's taught to us in Revelation 2, 4, where it says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love in the letter to the Ephesian church. There are numerous ways we can leave our first love for Christ. I'm going to share a few of them that were identified in an excellent study that Bill Gothard did. Uh, Mark 12, 30 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And in that single verse, 
we find four ways that we can leave our first love. When my delight in the Lord is no longer as great as my delight in someone else, I've left my first love. That's the with all your heart. When my soul does not long for times of rich fellowship in God's word or in prayer, I've left my first love, he says, with all your soul. When my thoughts during leisure moments don't reflect upon the Lord, I've left my first love with all your mind. When I claim to be only human and give in to those things that I know displease the Lord, I've left my first love. He says, love the Lord with all your strength. Matthew 25, 40 and John 13, 34 also help us understand this. The king will reply, I tell thee the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine you did for me. And in John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Well, how does this apply? Well, when I cease to treat every Christian as I would the Lord, I've left my first love. John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. And when I view the commands of Christ as restrictions to my happiness rather than expressions of his love, I've left my first love. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. When I inwardly, inwardly strive for the acclaim of the world rather than the approval of the Lord, I've left my first love. John 15.20, Jesus said, the, remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. When I fail to make Christ or his words known because of my fear of rejection, I've left my first love. Love is built through the relationship of staying connected to Christ, just as the vine stays connected to the branch and draws its life and sustenance from the branch. So we must stay connected to Christ Jesus said in John 15, 9, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. We stay connected to Christ through ongoing obedience to his commands in the same way that he submitted to ongoing obedience to his Father's commands. And John 15, 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Growth in the vertical relationship with God focuses on the joy, the fullness of life, the comfort, the oneness with God, the peace with God that we have in him. And this is communicated to us by his Holy Spirit. And when we're resting in these realities as they're communicated through the Spirit and the Word of God, we know that we are connected to the life and love of God in Christ. But our life in the vertical is interconnected to our life in the horizontal. If we hinder love growth in the horizontal relationships that we have with our fellow man, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're also going to hinder our love growth with God. And so we need to recognize hindrances to horizontal love growth. 
First uh, John three seventeen. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? You know, when I do not willingly and cheerfully give to God's work or to the needs of others, I've hindered my love growth. Romans 14, 15. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. When I refuse to give up an activity which I know is offending a weaker brother, I'm hindering my own love growth. 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You see, when I'm unable to forgive another of offending me, I'm hindering my growth in love. What can we do in the practical relationships between ourselves that can help love to grow and, and be more fully experienced? Well, 2 Corinthians 2.8 says, Wherefore I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. The circumstances of this verse involved a church having to exercise discipline on a sinning brother and calling him to repent of his sin. <coughs> and then when he did, Paul gave this instruction, reaffirm your love. Listen, life is messy. <laughs> People offend one another, even Christians offend other Christians. But when the offense has been dealt with and forgiveness has been extended, you must get beyond it and extend love to one another. Even beyond offenses, reaffirm your love for each other again and again. Philippians 2, 1 and 2. <clears throat> if therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. You know, there are several words in these verses which show us ingredients to maintaining love growth in relationship. Let me just point them out. Encouragement. Encouragement. Consolation. Fellowship. Affection, compassion, unity, single purpose. Notice that all these things are connected to the vertical relationship. The vertical relationship nurtures the horizontal relationship. The love we learn of God flows through us into the love we can experience with one another. Colossians 2.2 2 and 3.14 that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself. And 3.14, and beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. These verses bear similarity and to those in Philippians that we had just read. Again, we have an emotional bond. Our hearts are knit together. Having unity builds this love. Of course, that means we can't all have our own way. Unity within a group of diversity means that all those that are in that diversity will need to lay aside some things of personal preference for the common good of the whole. Hebrews 10.24 also speaks of a way that we help our 
horizontal relationship in love. And it says, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You know, one of the things that we do as believers is inspire each other, challenge each other, motivate one another to greater and greater acts of love and good deeds. This is how one person who shares Christ with a friend inspires a fellow believer to talk to his friend. Or someone who shares the love of God through building something for a neighbor motivates another to use their building skills. Or someone who is involved in Meals on Wheels calls another into this service. Or someone who helps in Operation Christmas Child encourages someone else to join the effort. And someone who speaks of the joy they have in teaching children on Wednesday nights encourages another to get involved in that ministry. And all of this can be done for the love of Christ and out of the love of Christ and will demonstrate the love of Christ to people in this community. This is going on all the time in churches that have the love of Christ at their heart. And I know it's going on in this church. This has been going on since the foundation of the church. Jesus told his disciples that they would be identified with him by how they had love for one another. This is why all over the world you have hospitals with the names of apostles and Christian denominations. Ever occurred to you that there is no, anywhere in the world, no atheist hospital? Why? Because atheists are haters of God who is love. And compassion and love flows from out of God toward us. And that's why you have hospitals with Christian names. This is why when the hurricanes hit areas, the first ones that show up to help are from church ministries. They're not tied down by government regulations. People simply give and serve from the love of Christ in their hearts and from their own resources. I've personally witnessed this following Hurricane Katrina in Louisiana and Hurricane Harvey in Texas. The first people that showed up and started helping muck out all of those homes that were devastated in Texas were the Baptist men. <laughs> Why? Well, they didn't need a government to tell them to do it. They had the love of Christ in them to tell them to do it. And that happens all over the world. Christians loving their fellow neighbors. The EFCA right now is still involved in sending people to Paradise, California to help to rebuild a town that was devastated by forest fires a couple of years ago. And if you wanted to get involved in that, you can. Every church I have ever served in the Evangelical Free Church has this as part of their history. Orphan adoption ministries, ministries to widows, Missions ministries that especially target the mentally challenged. Stanton supports a, uh, uh, a missionary that does this. Ministries to the disabled. Benevolence ministries to those living on the street. Support for those who are down and out. Ministries that help those who are incarcerated. How can that go on so much from just out of little churches whether the church was large or small, God did amazing things of love through his people in those churches, and he does it here too. 
I know some of the history of this church and the great acts of love that have been done through many of its founders. God loves through his people. And what happens? Other people come to know the love of Christ with skin on, and the skin on is you and me. The simple explanation is that the love of Christ compels us to love one another. And if you have truly had an experience of having God's love flow to you, you cannot help but want his love that flows to you to flow through you to other people. Have you ever considered and tried to understand the process of growing fruit? How is it that soil and water and light applied to an apple tree will result in flowers growing on that tree and then the flowers will transform into apples? It's a wonderful mystery of growth. And what God wants for us is to have a wonderful mystery happen in our lives. That the experiences of ordinary life put together with faith in him will transform our ordinary personalities and lives into portraits of love. Our lives will begin to reflect his love to those around us. Ephesians 3.19 says, And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, knowing something that surpasses knowing. There are more ways of knowing than simply understanding with the intellect. That's what this passage is getting at. There is knowing something by having that intellectual understanding of it. And I might study science and learn all there is to know about apple growing from a scientific viewpoint. But until I've picked and eaten an apple, there are going to be aspects of apples that I don't know. <laughs> For instance, I may study theology and have a great intellectual understanding of God's love and grace, and yet never have really known by experience what it is to love God and to be loved by God and to have God's love transform me. The goal of 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7 is to grow in the knowledge of love in such a way that it is experiential and transforming. What does this experiential knowledge of the life love of God look like? I find at least three kinds of experiences that are evident in Scripture that are love-learning experiences. The first I call natural experiences. They're the kinds of experience that are natural for everyone in this fallen world to go through. They're the kinds of experiences that the Son of God never had had in all of his pre-existent life with the Father. And they were experiences that were necessary for him to go through in order to learn what our lives are like and be able to be our sacrifice. They're part of why he had to be born a human being in order to be able to atone for our sins. They're described in Romans 5, 3 through 5, as well as other places. It says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Think about it. Jesus never suffered in his preexistent life in heaven. He had to become a human being to experience what suffering is like. And he was willing to do it. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because 
God has poured out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit, whom he's given us. The suffering experiences are natural to life in this world. What God does with our suffering experiences is pour his love into our hearts through them. You see, our suffering experiences are like the germination of the seed. The seed is put into the ground and it looks like a hard, unyielding substance. It's so hard it, it could seem to be dead. And our hearts are just like that when we're put into the soil of suffering. And just like the seed is softened and broken open by the soil before a root and a shoot can grow out of it and it can show life, so we may need our hard exteriors broken by suffering in order for the life of Christ to root and shoot out through our personalities. The reason that Romans 8 can read that none of all these suffering experiences that are listed can separate us from the love of Christ is that God intends to use them, these very experiences, to grow his love in our hearts by the work of his Holy Spirit. The second mystery of the love life of God in us is produced by what I call spiritual experiences. And Galatians 5.22 tells us that love is a fruit of the Spirit. Love will grow in the life of the believer who is yielded to the Spirit of God and who is walking by the power of the Spirit rather than in the flesh. This will happen by the life of God being in you. Uh, John 15.4 says, Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Notice that just as the branch does not bear fruit unless it stays connected to the vine, so we will not bear fruit unless we stay connected to Christ. The life of the Spirit of God living in your spirit will produce this fruit of love. Last of all, there are those experiences that I call the supernatural experiences. They are experiences that run counter to our natural man. 1 John 3, 16 and 17 says this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? If the love of God is in people, they will give of themselves for others and they will lay down their lives for one another. An important distinction here. Uh, this Jesus laid down his life in the original is literally laid down his soul. Laid down his soul. That is, his mind, will, and emotions, all of his preferences that would have been personal to himself, he laid that down. That's his living life that he laid down. I think an excellent example of this supernatural love growth happened in the early church. Acts 2.44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts and praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There is a connection between 
the growth in the horizontal realm that is evidenced in this way and the growth in the vertical realm of our relationship with God. When we are willing to grow in love toward those who have need in our world, we will also grow in our love toward God in the eternal realm. And that growth will be healing to us. You know, I started by telling you about a crippled boy who bought a crippled puppy. Well, that's not the end of the story. The young boy who'd been wearing a steel brace on his left leg for the last four months walked through the front door of his home with his newly purchased puppy in his arms. The little dog without a hip socket walked with a serious limp. The boy's selection of the physically challenged puppy intrigued his parents, for he had been down and out. But with his new companion at his side, they sensed a newly revitalized spirit of hope and enthusiasm emerging from his soul. The next day, the young boy and his mom went to see the vet to find out how he could best help his little dog. The doctor explained that if he stretched and massaged his puppy's leg every morning and then walked with him at least one mile a day, the muscles around his missing hip joint would eventually strengthen to the point of, of no pain and less of a limp. Although the dog whimpered and barked out his discomfort and the boy winced and hassled with his own leg brace, for the next two months, they religiously kept to their rehabilitation regimen. By the third month, they were walking three miles every morning before school began, and they were both walking without pain. One Saturday morning, when returning from their workout, a cat leaped out of the bushes and startled the dog. And breaking loose of the leash, the dog darted into oncoming traffic. With a speeding truck only seconds away, the boy ran into the street and dove for his dog and rolled into the gutter. He'd been too late. The dog had been hit and was bleeding profusely from the mouth. And as the boy lay there crying and hugging his dying dog, he noticed that his own leg brace had broken off. With no time to worry about himself, he sprang to his feet and picked up his dog and cuddled it close to himself and started for home. The dog quietly barked, giving him hope and turning the boy's jog into an all-out adrenaline-filled sprint. His mother rushed him and his suffering pup to the pet hospital. As they anxiously awaited to see if his dog would survive the surgery, he asked his mother why he could now walk and run. Well, you had osteomyelitis, which is a disease of the bone, she said. It weakened and crippled your leg, which caused you to limp in severe pain. Your brace was for support. It wasn't necessarily a permanent condition if you were willing to fight through the pain and hours of therapy. You responded well to the medication, but you always resisted our encouragement for physical therapy because of the pain. Your father and I didn't know what to do. The doctors had told us you might lose your leg. And when you brought home your puppy, you seemed to understand his needs. And ironically, as you were helping him, you were actually helping yourself. To strengthen and grow. Just then the operating room door opened and out walked the veterinarian with a smile on his face. Your dog's going to make it, he said. You see, the connection between giving love and finding love is just like this little boy's connection. We are all love cripples when it comes being able to love with the love of God. And God gives us other love cripples who need our help. Sometimes those love cripples are members of our own family. 
You know, a child going through a time of rebellion, a wife who struggles with low self-worth, a husband with a temper. Sometimes those love cripples might be co-workers. Sometimes those love cripples uh, seem to be shirking responsibilities that are just irksome to work with, and others are bosses with some kind of a power complex, you know. Love cripples come in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes they're very hard to love. And that's why it takes God's love flowing through us to do it at all. We cannot do it on our own. If we submit to learning to help them, we find healing for ourselves and we will grow in the love of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we confess we're, we're all love cripples. We don't love perfectly with the love of Christ. And you never stop loving us in spite of it. Help us to reach out to you. Help us to be willing to be a, a channel of your love to those around us that may seem hard to love. Because we know, Lord, you love them. And you want to show them your love, perhaps through us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.